Hello to everyone listening from around the world. I'm Ewan and I'm the city head organiser for ACON in Bristol. We're a local branch of ACON England and Wales, which is a national community union with something like 30 branches and local groups up and down the country. So Bristol is a city in the southwest of England. It's a kind of medium-sized city built around the harbour and ACON Bristol has been taking action on, on loads of issues in recent years from everything from evictions to public toilets, dodgy landlords to buses and most recently fire safety and tower blocks, which is something that we're going to be chatting about a bit in a bit more detail today. So today I'm sat here with ACON member Shaban Ali and we're going to be talking a bit about living in Bristol and the kind of things that people here are facing, talking about ACON, obviously, and also talking quite a bit about the big win that we had here recently on fire safety in, in council-owned tower blocks. So hello, Shaban. Hello. How you doing? All right? I'm not too bad. Thank you for having me. Good. Nice to chat to you here. Thank you. So to start off, why don't you just say just a quick bit about yourself, just kind of introduce yourself and anything you want to say about Bristol, growing up here, what it's like living in Bristol, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I've been in Bristol for the last 22 years now. Originally immigrated from Somalia as a refugee. So I come here roughly when I was 14. I've seen Bristol change quite massively. And I feel very privileged to, to, to be able to live here, to call this home now, and to be part of a fantastic organization such as ACORN, fighting for justice, fighting for a, a right of um, equality. And, and basic standards of living, I think there's still a lot of work to be done, but it's, it's a very good start. It's an amazing opportunity and it's an amazing organization to be part of. You make friends, get to be part of campaigns, and you see a lot of changing happening as a result of the effort that we put in collectively. Yeah, nice, nice. And we're sitting here at the moment in your home in Barton House, aren't we? So do you want to just say a bit about that just because it's kind of relevant to the fire safety stuff that we're going yes, to talk 100%. about? Yes, 100%. So funnily enough, this is how we actually met. I mean, yeah, you, were, yeah. you were sort of door knocking and you're raising awareness for the fire safety campaign that you guys were putting together and you were trying to get residents of the high towers to basically come together and to do something about the issues, especially with the fire that happened not too far from my building. There was another building essentially that's a couple of meters away-ish by, by car where a gentleman from Afghanistan unfortunately lost his life and it was very reminiscent of what happened a few years ago in Grenfell in London. So, I mean, I'm sure our listeners are very familiar with Grenfell, the massive fire that happened in London. And it was absolutely surreal that something like this happened again. So me being a dad of two children, and it's something that really spoke to me and you were very convincing. So it basically got me on board straight away. And it's something that I wanted to be involved in. It's something that I wanted changed. And this is, this is why we are here today. Yeah. And the, since you've been a member, you've, you've been a big part of this campaign, driving it, pushing it forward and talking to the press, doing a lot of talking at the media. They've been interested in the whole thing, haven't they? And yeah, you're quite right to point out Grenfell as well, I think, because like you say, a huge fire that, 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 that cost a lot of lives in London a few years back. And it was a lot of the same issues that, that, that started, that the fire started here from. That's it. I mean, it was a very similar high rise tower to the one that I'm living in at the moment and the one where the fire occurred in Bristol. So for something like this to happen so close to home and many, many years after the fact that Grenfell happened, when a lot of the officials said, we've learned lessons from this and we'll make sure it never happen again. And the fact that it basically just happened and no one was willing to take accountability. 
No one was willing to actually have a look at the cause of the fires, how it could have affected other residents. It was basically a lot of blame dodging and it's something that just didn't sit right with me. And it got me questioning, how did these people sleep at night? Where were the lessons that were promised that were learned? How come nothing has been done? And when the fire actually happened, there were promises made by our city leaders where they said that they would install fire safety equipment, such as sprinklers and having policies changed, such as the state put policy which was one of the things that was contributed to a lot of deaths that happened in Grenfell, basically, where they would advise people to stay in their flats if a fire occurred. I mean, that was the wrong advice to give, but unfortunately, that's what happened. And that's still the policy that we were having in our building. So it's good. it had to be changed. Something had to be done. So it might be interesting to talk about as well, this, the, the, block, the, the, the block you live in here, Barton House, how many floors has it got? So it's got 14 floors in total. 14 floors, yeah. right. It's one of 62 tower blocks in Bristol. So yes. there's, a, there's a whole bunch of them all over in Bristol. Yeah. And it's council owned, isn't it? So the council are your, they're your landlord, basically. There are landlords. They're also uh, the city leaders. The head of them is the mayor of Bristol. So essentially they are responsible for collecting rent, maintaining these buildings, making sure that it's safe for everyone that lives in them and just the general upkeep of it. And what's it, what's it like living here? How, how long have you been here? Seven years? Is I've it? been here now for seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Uh, so myself, my two children. Yeah. I mean, all in all, it's a great neighborhood. There's a lot of like community aspects to it. There's a lot of camaraderie in between the, the, the neighbors. We're pretty much all in the same situation, whereas we're struggling to make ends meet, but it, it just, it just brings people together to be quite honest. And when the fire happened, it was a wake up call for all of us that we actually had to take action, that we had to do something about this because it turned out that the, the council was essentially blaming the residents for the fire. And, um, interesting story as well. There was a young lady who lived opposite the flat where the fire essentially happened and a small got into her building, I'm sorry, into her flat. And uh, there was a lot of heat damage where her carpet burned. And essentially they tried to cover it up by saying that everything was all right. Everything worked as it should, but if she didn't get out of her flat, her and her son today wouldn't have been with us they would have fortunately died as well. So it's something that just didn't sit right with me where if something like that happened, where if my neighbor's flat burned down and we basically died in here, we would have, we would have taken the blame for the lack of fire safety, the lack of sprinklers, the, the lack of fire extinguishers, the draft that basically sort of gets the smoke into your flat that would in intoxicate you and fill your lungs basically. So it's just something that did not sit right with me at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was something I heard from loads of people when I was going around door knocking and talking to our members that lived in, in blocks around Bristol was exactly, exactly that same kind of thing. And it wasn't just one fire either, was it? Like with, in September, last September, there was three, three fires, three, was it? four, maybe even five as well. I mean, there was two in my building. There was one in the building just opposite me that I'm looking at at the moment that's covered in scaffolding. And uh, it basically turned out that the cladding which is what covers the building that's meant to make it look pretty as well as insulate it from the cold. It turned out that they are a flammable material. So that basically exasperates, it makes the fire spread a lot faster throughout the building. So there was a lot of denial about that sort of material being around the buildings as well in itself. So again, the more we went into this campaign, a lot of rotten stuff was basically coming out. And that, that basically doubled down on our determination to actually have something done about this. Mm. 
And what what other kind of issues are people facing in in Barton House here in your block or the other blocks? Where do we even start? I mean, <laughs> there's a lot. There's, of, um, there's yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I mean, the fire aspect safety of it was just a start, really and truly. I mean, there's so much work that needs to be done around mold, around um, antisocial behaviour, around the quality of the building, the upkeep of it. I mean, if you think about the eleven floors. Whereas there's nearly a hundred flats and all of them are basically paying rent. I mean, in one building in itself, if you do the maths, you know, it's, it's a multi-million pound enterprise, essentially, if you think about it, because it's not charity, it's not for free. We all pay rent. We pay service charges on top of that as well. So the bills add up quite quickly. So you would think paying that amount of money, you would have a decent standard of living. You'd be able to sleep easy at night. If, if a fire was to happen, like alarms would wake you up and give you ample time and safely exit the building, which is just not the case at all. I mean, there's narrow staircases, they're very slippery. Um, the electric would go out, the lifts would go out if a fire happened. I mean, a hundred flats where there's an average of about three people living in each flat. It, it could easily be six people as well in certain flats as well. So, I mean, imagine if a fire basically happened, it would be a free for all for everyone to exit the building using the staircases. So something has to be done about this. It had to be brought to light. And we, we basically had to fight for common sense, which is infuriating. Yeah. Like fire safety in your own home, it's not a luxury, is it? Like this is, this is basic stuff. It's very basic stuff in, in one of the richest countries in the world. You would think again, paying, it's not charity. We're paying quite a lot of money to live here. So you would think that you would have decent levels of, of safety, especially around fire, but which is not the case, unfortunately. So there was those three fires last September, just in one area, in fact, just, one postcode, wasn't it? And, and that came on the back of loads and loads of issues in these blocks going on for a long time, disrepair, like leaky pipes, all kinds of different things that people have been bringing up with the council and asking for something to be done. And, and often they were just ignored. And you were talking there about the community as well, about Barton House, the block you're in, having a really strong community. That's definitely something I found knocking around here, speaking to lots of people is people, loads of people know each other. They're looking out for each other. Do you think that was part of that community in this block and other blocks, that was part of what kind of, I guess, underpinned this campaign. Yeah, I do believe so. I mean, the thing is when, when you go out yourself and you speak to your neighbors and you speak to people that look like you and that have the same life experiences as you, I mean, the demographic around here is, is quite a lot of refugees, quite a lot of immigrants that sort of immigrate from different countries, whether it's Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, you name it, we have it in this neighborhood. So, I mean, it's, it, it kind of snowballed into people sort of coming together, seeing the, 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 the ways that we live in compared to other areas as well. And it was, it's, it's easy to get people on board when it's someone that looks like you that's talking to you, basically. And that's one of the things that's quite magical about a community coming together and having a banner like Acorn, essentially. So you guys all provided how we can organize, the ways that we can organize and how we can tackle this issue. But you've always made it clear that it was always up to us to basically do it. So we sort of taken on that message and under your uh, guidance, we, we, we prevailed essentially. We got, we got the repairs that we wanted. So a hundred million pound was announced in, in all the tower blocks in Bristol was going to be spent on fitting out the fire sprinklers and having night watches. And it's a massive achievement in times of austerity in a government that's focused on cutting budgets rather than actually spending money. So it's, it's, it's a testament to what we can basically do 
when we come together and decide to take back what's ours, essentially. I mean, like I said, again, we pay a lot of rent, we pay service charges, we pay quite a lot of tax on it as well. So there's, there was just, it was just impossible for them to ignore us anymore. Mm, we just yeah. made it impossible for them to ignore us. Yeah. We'll come back to that, to the win and, and what we've won in this campaign and what, what we're demanding and that kind of stuff. Cause I think that's important and it's worth talking about in a bit more detail. But the, what you were saying about people who live in these blocks leading the campaign, I mean, it started off with a handful of people in Corbett House, one of the blocks, again, like looking out your window here, we can, you, you can see that and a handful of ACORN members there starting up a big WhatsApp group and bringing in their neighbours, knocking on doors, talking to each other and starting to talk about what could they do about this issue of fire safety, especially after these fires and them feeling threatened in their own homes. And, and that was kind of, it, it snowballed from there, didn't it? it and, and the more and more people got involved and yeah, we took it on as a campaign and, and it went from there. So yeah, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the, what, what were we asking for from the council? What was, what were the demands that we were making? So the demands were to have fire sprinklers fitted throughout the buildings, not just the one that I live in, but in all of the ones in Bristol, because when you're fighting for, for these type of campaigns, you're not just doing it for yourself. You're also doing it for your neighbors. You're doing it for your family. You're doing it for your community and also for your city, to be quite honest. So, so fire sprinklers, night watch it was. And there was another one I can't quite remember off the top of my head. The third one. Yeah. Third one was fire risk assessment. Fire risk assessment. Which kind of seems like a weird demand in a way, because you think it would just be done. There'd be fire risk assessments. But the fact of the matter was in it, for most of the tower blocks in Bristol, there was no fire risk assessment. Or if there was, they were kept up, they were kept behind locked doors, weren't they? That's very no true. one knew what the risks in their own block were. That's a hundred percent. And it's one of the things that they use to basically make up the policies. And if you're sort of talking to people who always think like you or you're paying them to say what you want to hear, then you're not going to get the results that you actually want that, that that's best for the residents basically. So again, like you said, one of our demands was actually to have this assessments done, but done in an open manner, whereas the residents were involved, where they were asked questions or where the problems were. And then because of these, these demands, that's basically what brought to light that a lot of these buildings were covered in flammable cladding. Yeah. Which the council denied for quite some time as well, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's worth that, that point's definitely worth making because for quite a long time that never came out, did it? No. And also after those fires that we were talking about, the council were saying everything that needs to be in these blocks for fire safety measures is in there already. Yeah. So that was, that was the line then was kind of like nothing needs to be done. Things are working as they should. And that was, that's what they were telling us. I think it even shot them into action, actually. Yeah. I think even they were a little bit, not even a little bit, but embarrassed quite a lot by how much they thought that things were all right. And they were painting this rosy picture of uh, we're a safe council and our residents are safe. And all this kind of stuff basically just went up into smoke once that was basically revealed. That was a turning point, I believe, where they, the, the, the city leaders, the mayor himself, sort of decided, right, well, there's, there's something that needs to be done about this because we can no longer have this on our conscience anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it started off with ACORN members in, in a few of the blocks kind of getting together, beginning to organize their neighbors, knocking on doors, collecting a petition, talking about these things. And, and, and then the next step was that 
that public accountability meeting that we held that you that you chaired. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and just just kind of say what 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 was going on there? Yeah. So I mean, I just want to make it very clear that I haven't done anything like this before. So when you've sort of approached me to basically chair that meeting, where we've invited our mayor Marvin Rees and his head of housing. Tom Renard and I was, I was a little bit nervous to basically do it the first time because I haven't done any public speaking before and I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go. I've never attended anything like this before. I don't even think anything like this has been done before, to be quite honest. It was, it was, it was exciting to be part of it because you could feel like there's, there was an element of change. There was a lot of engagement from the community. There was a lot of engagement from the people who lived in these high rise towers. And uh, we basically filled out the hole. We completely packed it out. We was a little bit nervous that we wasn't going to get that much attendance, but when it actually happened and everyone turned out, we were a little bit taken by it. And actually it encouraged me as well to, um, to basically to, to stand upright and to, to speak for my neighbors, to speak for my community. So it gave me that extra push that I basically needed. And again, it, I think it was that the media even turned up to that event as well, which was when, when we, we often talk about the media and the authorities basically sort of being in bed together, but that was, that was a, something that was disproven at that time when the media turned out, I mean, we had like three or four news outlets that basically turned out and in between those four news outlets, they have a massive reach in the city. So when the news was getting out that the mayor didn't even bother turning up, that his core voters as well live here. And a lot of his votes basically come from this constituency. So when it turned out that he didn't even come as well, then it was, it was a massive turning point as well for the media to basically put a spotlight on this. And Selma's story was absolutely heartbreaking as well. So when she explained how her, her, her ordeal sort of unraveled when the fire happened opposite her, her very own door and it, it made the whole room cry, basically mm -hmm. it was, it was one of the most horrendous stories that you could basically hear. So if you were in that situation, it, it, oh man, it's worth just saying just for, for, for people who might not know, but so Selma's an ACON member yes. who also lives, well, she, she lived in the, the block that, that had the huge fire That's in it, it in September, yeah. one of the council owned tower blocks and this since moved, but, but yeah, lived there and escaped in the middle of the night with a what, four year old son, a young son anyway, yeah. barefoot. And I'm um, autistic son as well. So yeah. he, he didn't, he, he wasn't quite sure what was going on at all. And he was actually quite adamant in staying in the flat because when, when you're autistic, you just know routine, basically you're, you're most comfortable where you're familiar with. So she actually had to plead with her son to, that they, they needed to leave or else they would die. I mean, imagine having that conversation in the middle of a fire happening just outside your hallway trying to convince your son that you need to get out for your own lives, basically. And they basically ran out with barefoot, no, no clothes, no nothing. They were just wearing the pajamas that they had on their backs, basically. And again, it was, it's such an ordeal. I mean, only she can explain that again, basically, because it just, I'll speaking about it, it just doesn't do it justice. Like I said, she had that whole room in tears. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely horrendous. So when the media sort of grabbed, got hold of that and examined the policies, the stay put policies and all these sorts of things, that's when everything again sort of started to unravel basically. So that event itself was a massive turning point for our campaign. Yeah. And the, so the media came, a lot of media came, like you say, a load of ACORN members and non-ACORN members as well, a load of residents from tower blocks sure. and that kind of thing came to 
And you say you've never done anything like that before, but just for the record, you were a total natural. I have to say, I have to say. (laughs) It came Um, from the heart. I mean, when it comes from the heart, you just kind of roll with it. Well, it worked. It worked. And yeah, so it was you and Samira as well, another Acorn member who lives around here that were chairing it. That's it. And, but the, the, as you say, like the, the the key thing is all those people did turn up, but the person who didn't turn up was the main person that we invited, wasn't it? Which was the Bristol's mayor, Marvin Rees. And not only did he not turn up, but he didn't even bother replying to our invite. That's right. And there was an interview with him the day after in the, in the media. And I can't remember the words, exact words he said, but there was some snide comment he made about not having to engage with that kind of thing. I think I remember his exact words, what meeting? What meeting? And you were invited specifically. I mean, you were emailed. You knew that this was happening. A, a number of your staff were aware of it, and I'm sure they passed on the message as well. But the snide comment itself was something that just didn't sit well with anyone, including the media as well. And I think that's when it got really, really sour for him. Yeah. And we empty chaired them, didn't we? So we had that plan in advance. We were like, they might turn up, they might not. Yeah. But we thought they probably wouldn't. Yeah. So we had two, two chairs. Two agendas, yeah. Two, yeah, two different agendas yeah. in case they did turn in up. In case they did turn up. And, yeah. and, and, and two chairs up the front with a big placard with his name on it and the head of housing's name as well. Yeah. And that was in loads of the papers and, and on TV the next day, wasn't it? Those empty chairs with their names on it. And That's when I believe that media saw currently come on our side when they heard the story, when he made the slight comments, when they heard Selma's story. And that's, that's basically when it was a rap essentially. And, and still it was very stubborn about what we were demanding, about sitting down with us, about addressing the issues. And it just turned out to be a horrific PR situation for him. It did. It did. Didn't it? it backfired. It I think really it's safe to say it backfired badly. And that's one of the things that's really, really frustrating about this as well. I mean, you're, you're a politician. You're, you have a certain level of understanding how things work and how things can go bad for you, essentially. So the, the, the ultimate question was, why let it get to that point? There's, there's this contingency. There's things that you could have done about this. You could have addressed it. And it would have just been a common sense thing to do as well. It's just, he it was so stubborn about it. It denying it and in thinking we were just going to go away. It was just temporary noise, but it wasn't. Someone died. A father of nine died in one of those buildings. It's just something that wasn't going away. And I think the relentless pressure that was applied on him, not just from ACORN, not just from the community, but also from the media as well, was that's when the whole thing come unraveling, basically. Mm, yeah. And so from then, from that public accountability meeting that we held, <clears throat> ACORN members of different blocks continue going door to door, speaking to their neighbours, getting them involved in the campaign, talking to them. And th- th- there was then a vigil, wasn't there, that we held. And it was around that time that we got news from the council that basically the demands that we had made were, were kind of being agreed to. Yeah, so that's sort of when they, again, it was, it was when the pressure wasn't going away, when the media attention wasn't going away when we continuously like writing to them, putting on social media. And that's when they sort of kind of announced that they were discussing the plans, even though these plans were already discussed and signed off in 2019, just shortly after Grenfell, basically. And they were sort of motioned again. And what we were told was we have to wait until the new year, basically. I think it was roughly October, November, wasn't it? It was, it was towards the end of November. So we had to be a little bit patient. But we were very skeptical about what they were telling us as well, because there's many a times where they said things that they just didn't come through on. So that was, that's why it was so important to keep applying the pressure on them. But we also had to be a bit patient 
because the new year was starting essentially and the new budget and that's when they were sort of deciding to announce or that's when they said they were going to announce how much it was going to be and the time scale of the work. So we were a little bit, again, skeptical about it, but we gave them the time and they, they, they finally announced it, but they've also announced it with red risers. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Yeah. But so they, last week they, they announced what, almost a hundred million pounds in investment in fire safety measures. That's it. Throughout Bristol. Throughout Fact Bristol. Is, yeah. All the 62 blocks, yeah. which is huge. And I think like you said before, it's worth saying to people who are tuning in from other countries around the world that like in Britain at the moment, for years, in fact, we've been living in a time of austerity where- it's 20 years now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Public authorities just don't spend, it's like getting blood out of stone, isn't it? it? They don't spend money particularly local councils, it's, they, they don't invest or spend much money, particularly on stuff where there's not strong political pressure for them to do it. That's it. So a hundred million pounds on fire safety measures and all the demands that we were making, they finally can agree to them after having said that, 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 that they weren't going to do it. Worth saying as a little aside as well, that at one point during our campaign, two workers from the council, two council employees were going around these blocks, knocking door to door telling people not to join ACON, yes. telling people not to get involved in the campaign, that if they did, nothing would happen and all the rest of that. So yeah, they, they, they fought, they fought back for a while, didn't they? They pushed hard against I mean, what they we did. Yeah. Yeah. I completely forgot about that element as well, actually. So while we were trying to get even more people to join our campaign, they were running a anti-campaign essentially, if you will, where they were having secret meetings. The mayor himself basically sort of come down and they sort of handpicked a few residents that either didn't quite understand or that had like a language barrier where they were sort of convincing them that this was all a massive waste of time and everything worked as it should. And it was a bit of a cover-up, basically, of, of what was happening. But at that point, it was too late. The tide was just way too strong in our favour, in, in favour of change. A lot of people sort of woken up to the disaster that the fire was and all the other multiple fires that basically happened. But... It was, it was a little bit surreal that, that that was basically happening in the background as well. So when we sort of heard of it, and this is the importance of organizing as well and having these WhatsApp groups, because the neighbors basically told other people that were in the group that were already ACORN members that this was happening. So we're a little bit taken aback by that as well, weren't we? Yeah. We were so surprised and shocked about it. It was eye-opening. It was it, it was really, eye really was to how they, they do business in the background, basically. Mm. So we're, we're very glad that nothing come of it, that they essentially wasted their own time when they were telling residents that they were wasting their time chasing these uh, fire safety that we were looking for. So in, in, in like a couple of sentences and a few words, what, what, why do you think the campaign was successful? What do you think the kind of core parts of that campaign were that made it a success that put that pressure on the council that they just couldn't, they couldn't resist in the end? I think, I think the solidarity and everyone knowing each other and ACORN's reputation as well. So those three elements and the way that it was all organized. So when we done the, uh, the meeting, when we empty chaired the, the, the mayor himself, so it was, it was like a perfect storm. And again, I, I have no experience in terms of campaigns, but with the success that we've had, this is a blueprint for how campaigns should be done, basically. So, I mean, in democracies, the whole point of democracy is to have conversations. And if the leaders, if the voting leaders are not even willing to have a conversation, then it shows that there's something wrong here. There's something that they're running away from. There's something that they just want to bury and just make it go away. 
So that become quite evident to a lot of the neighbors, the community. There was a lot of talks about that in the WhatsApp groups as well. So I think that was the, the, where, where our success sort of come from as well. So using technology as well is something that we should all emphasize. So having WhatsApp groups, this WhatsApp group that we've had was absolutely vital in exchanging communication and exchanging ideas and having people come together, having appointments, everyone turning up to organize, to come with their ideas and all the ideas being taken on board as well, and then translated into the campaign. I think it was an element of everyone's effort coming together. I think that's, that's, that was the success of our campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So just to kind of wrap up, like what, what, what are the kind of things you'd like to see Acorn doing now, say in Bristol? I mean, what I would like to, I've, I got my heart set on it, keep improving living conditions because your living condition sort of determines how far you can get in life. Basically your home is your place of rest. It's where you recharge is where you sort of take count of what happened throughout the day how you can sort of go about tomorrow, basically. So if you don't have that sanctuary where you can just chill and just de-stress and recharge and ready to face new challenges, then there's no way in hell you're going to succeed anywhere, to be quite honest, because you're taking your stress out again, rather than coming back home and having a full night rest, you're going to go back out tired. You're going to go back depressed, maybe slightly angry and bitter at the world, basically. So you need somewhere where you can just decompress. So what I want to do is carry on improving the living conditions of people, not only in my postcode, but people that live in high rise towers, because in comparison to the square foot meters as well, it's quite tiny in how we live in and the amount of rents that we're paying as well. I mean, there's increases coming just around the corner. So what I would like to do is improve on the windows, the mold, the leaky pipes, all of these issues that people are having, having issues with. So storage heaters is one of the massive things as well. That's costing people a lot of money. So after they pay the rent, they now have to take care of their bills. And a lot of that, a portion of their, their wages is basically going into warming up their homes, basically. So I would like to see improvements on that as well and just take it from there, basically. So just keep increasing our living standards. That's, that's what I would like to see. And with the mold. Yeah. Worth saying for people listening elsewhere, yeah. we live in a wet city here in Bristol. Yeah. It rains a lot here, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, we've look. got the harbour, we've got all the water there, but we've got a lot of water, water that comes down from the sky as well. We so do, yeah. we've got mould is a big problem in a lot of the housing, private rented housing, private. council housing, yeah. whatever. It, the mould is, is a real issue. There you go. And now there's a, lot of, there's a lot of studies, there's a lot of things that basically show you how your health can be affected by it. So you can have... You can develop skin problems. You can develop breathing problems. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a issue that's not really well talked about, but what I would like us to do is, is to basically bring it to the national attention and international attention of how dangerous mold in properties can be. Cause I'm sure anyone else in the world as well might have similar issues that live in similar conditions to us and they might have mold in their homes and they might have draft coming into their buildings and there's a leak, I'm sorry, there's a lack of heating as well. And all these things are, it's, it's a bit of a vicious circle. I think if you're too poor to afford to heat your place adequately, then that's what mold sort of kind of happens. I mean, I'm no expert, don't get me wrong, but living experience would tell me that. And I would like the officials to basically understand that mold comes from fuel poverty and fuel poverty is not being able to heat your property or your dwellings adequately. So that's, that's, that's another massive issue that I would like us to tackle together. Yeah. So big win here on fire safety and a big step forward 
through taking collective action through this ACON campaign, but still a lot of issues in the city to deal with, isn't there? So we've got our work cut out still. We 100% do. But I mean, it's what a brilliant start. I mean, what a brilliant start to have this win. And it gives massive credibility to and, and testament to what can be done when people come together. I mean, people power is what powered this campaign, basically, is us coming together, organizing, getting on the one banner and keep applying pressure. You might feel tired one day, but you're, you're, another member might pick up the slack. You might not be feeling up to it one day, but then another member can pick up the slack. You might be low on ideas, but someone else can have the ideas. So it's, it's just a matter of organizing and, and just being relentless as well. I mean, results don't just come about straight away. We had to wait months to have a conversation, to have even this brought to light basically. But once you get that momentum, it's really, really hard to stop. It's really hard to stop. And it's infectious as well, because people might doubt you at the beginning, but when they see results, when they see people talking about it, then something kind of switches in their brain and they're like, what? I think maybe I need to do my part as well. So it's just a case of just keep going, keep going, and eventually results will come about. We should probably wrap up there, but Shaban, it's a pleasure chatting to you about this and hearing your experience and, and hopefully some people, hopefully people listening can get something out of that. And we continue to be inspired by all the different ACON groups all around the world doing their thing out there as well. A hundred percent. Yep. Good to chat to you. Thank you very much. Cheers.